Father, we do desire that all praise goes to you and that your Son is exalted and magnified. And we thank you for this time that we can look into your word. And we ask you to prepare our hearts, soften them so that we are, would be receptive to what you have to say and that we would be those who are changed because of what you do through your word by your Spirit. And Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray you would bless your word now as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you think about it, there is much to worry about. There are many circumstances, unknown variables. This life isn't consistent. I think about the people and certainly pray for them down in Ridgecrest with all those earthquakes. They have no idea when the next one's coming. The reality is there's lots to worry about, whether it's large or small. Uh, we have many temptations to worry because we cannot control this life. You see, we can't control the circumstances, and the one without Christ tries to do that, but there comes a point in which they realize at times it's not going to happen. The reality is there are many things to worry about, whether we know the Lord or whether we don't. And worry and anxiety are thus for the non-believer part and parcel for, for their lives. Now, some are just those who might live in a state of denial, ignoring the difficulties, but yet when difficult things come, we all understand the temptation to worry. There are many things to worry about. But what about for the believer? As the hymn writer wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. If you've been a Christian for a while, we realize that this life is not one of ease, but of temporal difficulty for the glories to follow. And indeed, Jesus said in this life, we would have trouble, but we should take courage because he has overcome the world. Yet the reality is we will be tempted and within that temptation, Satan offers the solution to, to, to address our fears and our anxiety and whatever it might be. The world has its solutions to, to anxiety. But what does God's Word say about anxiety? Today we're going to see how we as believers can stop worrying. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. And within this, we're going to see how we can overcome those internal obstacles to trusting Jesus Christ. Now, as you turn to Philippians 4, 7, I want to remind you of the context of the book of Philippians. We took a couple-week break here from our study, but if you'll remember, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the saints uh, who are in Christ Jesus. They're believers who are in Philippi. And he is writing while under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And this letter is one of his four prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon. And it was most likely written around 62 AD, about 10 years after the founding of the Philippian church. Now, the Philippian church and the apostle Paul were very close to one another. And indeed, in chapter 1, he has already lovingly prayed for them, and he has shared uh, his thankfulness for God's past work in them and his confidence 
that God would complete that good work. And then he has shared his circumstances that although he is imprisoned, the gospel is not, and God has been using his circumstances for the greater spread of the gospel. He shared his attitude to live as to to to, to live as to uh, live as Christ and to die is gain. And he understood that within anything, whether life or death, he desired Christ to be magnified. And then he addressed the Philippians' attitudes that they were to be united, they were to be humble, they were to be like Jesus Christ, they were to have the mind of Christ. And after giving the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, we see that he was exalted back to his rightful place uh, for all to see that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that truth. And thus, because Christ is Lord, we are commanded to obediently work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because God was at work in us. Work out what he is working in. And then we saw some selfless examples of humility after the Apostle Paul shared to all of us to not complain and argue, to do all things without complaining and arguing. And we saw the selfless humility of uh, the example of Paul himself, then Timothy, then Epaphroditus. Then in chapter 3, Paul revealed that we would face opposition to the gospel daily, living out these truths, that there are make-believers, false brethren, who ultimately glory in self and rely on their flesh. And we saw that the apostle Paul shared that he was like that. That's the way he was. But all that he considered as gain before, he counted as refuse. He counted as loss in order to gain Christ. And we saw that he pressed forward, not looking back, to the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then we were commanded to imitate him, to imitate that all-consuming desire to be and know, be like Christ and to know him, to, to, to come to that understanding of a right walk with him where we know him, the fellowship of his sufferings and, and all the wonderful things that are included in what God has promised for us. We press forward to that upward call. And then he shared the reality that we are not like the many, those who set their mind on earthly things, but we are of heavenly citizenship. Therefore, we should press forward. And then in chapter 4, he summed up these truths with the, with the statement, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in him. Stand firm in Christ. Keep pressing forward, not forgetting what lies behind. Keep going towards the upward call. Keep trusting Him in the midst of the difficulties. And then we started to see the things that are those things that can get in the way of trusting and standing firm. The last time we were in Philippians, we saw how we can be have unity in the church when there's difficulty. And Paul gave a direct exhortation to Udio and Syndicate, who were at odds with one another, to be same-minded, to have the mind of Christ. To, in obedience, to think of others as more important than themselves. To be thinking in accordance to what God has revealed in his word towards one another and towards him. And the body of Christ was exhorted to come alongside and help these women. And it's from this point we come to uh, the other obstacles to trusting in Jesus, to standing firm. And as we will see, those obstacles include not being joyful and, and, and not uh, yielding oneself and being anxious. Those are obstacles, and thus how we are to 
uh, overcome those things. So today we're going to see how to overcome those internal obstacles to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Again, if you're not there, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Tremendous passage. So then, how can we believers, this is written to believers, because if you don't know Christ yet, you don't have power to say no to sin because you don't have Christ in you. You don't have a spirit. You don't have the ability to renew your heart and mind to the truth. This is for believers, so how can we stop worrying? Now, the reality is we're going to be tempted day in and day out, and we've already been tempted. I've been tempted, I'm sure you have been already, to worry about something, right? How can we stop? Well, the first thing we need to have is the right attitude. You see, we need to be joyful in what God has done for us. We need to see Him rightly. If we don't see what God has done for us in Christ, then we will not see our circumstances rightly. Notice he says, first of all, his first command, that we should continually rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say, rejoice. The Apostle Paul is a repeater here, isn't he? He's already shared it earlier in chapter 3. And so here he says, rejoice. In the Lord, and it's a it's a present tense in the Greek language, which means continually habitually rejoice. You all, it's to the to the whole group, you all continually habitually rejoice. You can even translate it this way keep on rejoicing. The implication is you already are, but keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep rejoicing in the Lord. And again, I will say, same structure, you all keep rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's all the time. And it's emphatic. It's repeated. Now, all these passages that we're looking at are all connected, by the way. Because if you have conflict with other believers that's not resolved, you're not going to be joyful. And if you're not joyful, guess what? Conflict's probably just around the corner, by the way. And the reality is we are told to rejoice in the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, back in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And it's a command. It's a command. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. Well, can we obey a command to rejoice? Can you say someone, just rejoice? Well, we can, ultimately, if we understand the context of this command. Rejoice in the Lord always and who is the lord remember what we saw back in philippians chapter 2 verse 5 take a look at that have this attitude which was also in christ jesus who although he existed in the form of god didn't regard equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He died for us. 
Therefore God highly exalted and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the person of Jesus Christ. The great I am, the term Lord means, means uh, the I am. He is the one, he is the Lord, he is the master of all, of the universe. He is the Lord. We are to rejoice in the Lord. So we are commanded to do so, but how can we do that? You see, the world has happiness or sadness based on circumstances, but we can have joy which is different than that. It's not based on our circumstances. We are the only ones who can actually have joy and sorrow at the same time. We can rejoice in the Lord as we are to do so always. But how can we do so? Let me share some passages for you, and you can note them down. Psalm 16, 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. You might remember what was shared in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Turn to Psalm 5, Psalm 5. And we're going to see, you can only rejoice in the Lord when you renew your mind concerning who he is and what he's done for you. You see, if my mind is all focused on all the stuff that's going on, I'm not going to rejoice. I'm going to complain and I'm going to worry, right? I need to look at the things from God's perspective and who he is and what he's done for me. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And mayest thou shelter them, those who love thy name, that, that those who love thy name may exult in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord. Thou dost surround him with favor as a shield. Rejoice in the Lord. If he's your God, he has died for you. He's brought forgiveness and his favor is upon you. His grace is upon you and we are going to glory. Look up at Psalm 32. We're going to see that our joy in the Lord is also connected to the reality of what Christ has done for us. And if you forget what kind of a sinner you were and are and what God has forgiven you of, you're not going to be joyful. But when you remember what Christ has done for you, there's joy. There's joy. Psalm 32, the Psalm of David Amaskal. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I'd love to read the whole thing because it's a great psalm, but look down a little farther at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. You see, we are blessed because we have forgiveness of sins, so be glad and rejoice. Psalm 43, verse 3, O send thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. 
Have you ever prayed that? Send thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. He says here, let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. My exceeding joy. Psalm 51, verse 1. David's uh, song of psalm and song of repentance. Repentance for what he had done. He sinned greatly, but yet he confessed and was forgiven. Psalm 51, verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. That he's saying, hey, remove the discipline. I've confessed my sin. Let me rejoice again. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. You see, when you got saved, if you really did get saved, I'm confident there was joy. There was joy because you realized you've been saved from the penalty of your sin. You realize God was so gracious to send his son in your place and take the full penalty and bear your sins and die for you. And you have been pardoned and freed, who the son will set free. You're free indeed. Psalm 71, verse 23, my lips will shout for joy and I will sing praises to thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. You see, if you're not thinking about what Christ has done for you, then you're not going to be joyful. If you're not thinking about who he is, you're not going to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 95, verse 1, O come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come in his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. You see, it's the word of God that renews our mind concerning the truth concerning our Savior. And we need to be reminded. And we are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. But there is a joy stealer out there, isn't there? There is a joy stealer, and that joy stealer is our sinfulness. One pastor writes, now he refers to that which is so much on his heart that he would have the saints always rejoicing in the Lord. And he writes, joy and holiness are inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions. But a believer through who unwatchfulness has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways loses immediately the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of those who walk in communion with him. The reality is, when you're walking with the Lord, your sin's forgiven. There's joy. There's joy. Have you lost your joy? Has sin caused you to lose sight of what Jesus has done for you? Are you under the weight of your sin? Then just confess. You see, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we just acknowledge it and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you will be able to rejoice in that forgiveness and in the Lord. And back in our passage, we have such a great reason to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. And it's emphatic. It's emphatic. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. This is a day-to-day battle to 
renew your mind to the reality of who our Savior and Lord is and what he has done for us. And to see our circumstances in light of that rather than just what we see. Rather than just what we see. So how do we focus on Christ? Well, we'll look at it more so later, but we do it through the context of prayer and the word. We allow his word to to help us see him rightly and to see what he has done rightly, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, as I've mentioned, true joy is not circumstance-related. It's not circumstance-related, but it is an indicator of where your heart is in relationship to what Christ has done for you. So then we are to rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, Galatians 5. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God working in your heart and mind through the Word of God. (coughs) You see, when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and discloses the things of Christ to us, it changes our attitudes. So then we are to rejoice in the Lord. This is foundational. Now, if you're not joyful, now I'm not saying we don't grieve. We do grieve but we can even have joy in the midst of temporal sorrows. Are you joyful? If not, you are the perfect candidate for the cruel taskmaster of anxiety and worry. You are ripe for that. So how can we overcome genuine obstacles to faith in Jesus Christ First of all, we are to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And notice next, we are to rest in the Lord. We're to trust in Him. We're to find our peace in Him. Look at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now here, the Apostle Paul gives us two specific commands, which will enable us to find our peace in the Lord. As we rejoice in him, we are to have our peace from him. And the first one is simply that we should yield We should allow a gentle reasonableness to be manifest because we understand the Lord is near. And this is for believers. If you're not a believer, this isn't going to make any sense. It's just going to be jib-jibberish or it's just going to seem boring, okay? The reality is we are to hear as we'll see yield. Look at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, if you have an NIV, the term forbearing spirit is turned is translated gentleness if it's the new king james it'll say your forbearance now in the nasb which i'm reading from the the word spirit is in italics and often what the translators will do is put something in italics because it's not literally a word for word translation but they feel that there's the sense of that when you bring those concepts from one language to another and that's why they put it in there now this term translated forbearing here epi uh, speaks of gentleness. It speaks of a sweet reasonableness. It speaks of a gentle yielding. 
And you'll notice why it's often when you'll have different translations with all kinds of different ways to describe something, often there's not usually one English word that adequately describes the Greek word. And that's why you'll have different translations doing it different ways. Gil Rue writes this. He says, the word translated forbearing is a broad word, and there's no one word in English that fully translates it. He said the word described as forbearance, yieldedness, and congeniality, kindness, gentleness, mildness, magnanimity, magnanimity <laughs> and generosity, all these words would be instrumental in expressing the meaning of this Greek word. It indicates a willingness to give up your personal rights and show consideration, gentleness, and kindness to other people. It's one thing to yield your rights... And it's another thing to yield your rights in a way in which you're like Christ, where you're, where you're kind and gentle and not taking out your rights by your attitude, by the way. Some people yield their rights in reality, but their attitudes, their rights have not been yielded at all. That's what, not what this word is speaking of. It speaks of forbearance, a gentle, sweet reasonableness, a gentle yielding, a gentle yielding. And there's a cognate of this word that describes Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness, and here's our cognate of that word, gentleness of Christ. Jesus Christ is our example. He gently yielded his rights and went to the cross and died for you and I. But you see, he yielded his rights to do the will of God, and that's what it's about, by the way. We yield our rights to do what is right, by the way. We also have it in James chapter 3. But the wisdom which is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. Gentle. You see, when God's wisdom from his word is working in your heart, there is a yielded reasonableness. Not talking about compromise. Look at the Apostle Paul. He didn't compromise, but there was a yielded reasonableness. So we have the command... And it's actually a command, let your forbearing spirit or your gentle reasonless be known to all men. It's interesting. To be manifest or made known to everyone. Let everyone see it. Now you think, wait a second, are we supposed to try to act gentle and act reasonable and, and act yielding around people so they see it? No, that's not what he's saying. You see, because this word here is in a passive voice, allow it to be manifest. As you yield to Christ in the midst of difficult situations, let that be seen by all men. Let it be seen. Let your yielding be manifest. Let it be made known. Made known. And notice he says, here's why. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Here's why you can yield in situations. Here's why you don't need to hold on to your rights. Here's why you don't need to fear or, as we'll see, worry when you're being attacked. Here's why. Because for the believer, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. So we should have a different demeanor around all men because the Lord is near. So as a believer, we are not shaken and, and thrown off kilter by everything that comes across us. And yes, we're tempted, by the way. But when we recognize the Lord is near, we can rest. We can yield. We can allow Him to take care of those issues. We don't have to do it ourselves. All we need to do is obey Him in the context of what He's put before us. Now this word near... Uh, 
speaks of something being at hand. It's often speaking of something being near. We have in Romans 10, 8, the word is near you or in your mouth. Romans 13, 11, now salvation is nearer to us than when we have believed. Uh, first Ephesians 2, 2, 13, but now Christ, whom you formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2, 13. Relating to the coming of Christ in Revelation 1, 3 and 22, 11, we see it is at hand. It is at hand. So what does our verse mean in our passage? Well, there are two similar and related possibilities. First of all, either the Lord is near personally, and that's true, by the way. We know that to be true biblically. Or the Lord's coming to judge and vindicate is near. It is at hand. We know in the book of James, chapter 5, the Lord is right at the door. He's ready to judge. He's ready to, to address those who have been causing you to suffer. He's ready to take care of that. And we are to be patient, like a patient farmer. So those are the two concepts, and I think they go together. The point is, he is watching us, taking care of us, and he will vindicate us. He's near. You don't need to worry about the attacks. You don't need to worry about the opposition. The Lord is near. You see, we are tempted, and I am certainly. I get attacked a lot, and you get attacked a lot of times. Tempted to respond, tempted to vindicate oneself. And this is a reminder, a very good reminder, that we need to let our, his, his, his character in us be manifest. The Lord is near. And when we don't, we confess it and we're forgiven. Turn to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. And this should be a testimony to all. You see, we live in a country where we have our rights. We all want our rights. And, you know, praise the Lord for those rights. But yet, we are citizens of heaven. We're not to demand anything. We are not to use our freedom in Christ, and even in this country, as a covering for sin. We need to yield. Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn that's speaking to israel but there's a principle here this is the heritage of what the servants of the lord and their vindication is from me declares the lord he's the one that will vindicate us he's near so relax and yield the lord is near relax and yield and let people see it. Let people see it. You see, we're to be rejoicing. We're not to be fearing. A little uh, earlier in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will surely uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Lord is near. He hasn't gone away. He died for your sins, and he is on your side. Trust him and confess when you don't, and he'll forgive you. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. It's not a phony, baloney, uh, pharisaical knowledge of something where they stand in the streets so people will see them. It is just allowing Christ to be manifest in your heart and mind so that your actions are changed and they're different. People sit the mind of Christ.
working in our hearts. Brother and sister, do you need to yield anywhere? Graciously give up your temporal rights to obey the Lord? Have you failed? Confess and be forgiven. We all fail, right? If anyone says he's without sin, they're a liar, right? We do fail. But we want to be more and more like Christ. We want to grow and not go back to from where we've come. Let it be manifest. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. So with that in mind, we see that we are first of all to yield ourselves. If you want God's peace, you need to yield yourself. You need to submit to him. You need to trust him. He's near. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of the circumstances. He's going to take care of the people. He's going to take care of the situations. He's going to do so. He just wants us to obey him in the midst of that and trust him. Trust and obey. So then the Lord is near. Yield that everyone would see it. Now notice next how how we are able to stop worrying how to have his peace is that we need to pray about everything rather than worrying about anything. Pray about everything rather than worrying about anything. Verse 6, back in Philippians 3, 4, excuse me. If I said 3 earlier, change that to 4. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, worry is a mind thing. It's a thinking thing. It's about our thoughts. It's about our thoughts. And by the way, worry is a serious sin. Some people in churches don't see it as a sin at all. They see it as, a, as a, some type of issue or whatever it might be. But it's a serious sin. And it's a serious sin because it is, it is totally opposite of faith. It totally attacks the core of our relationship. We were saved by faith, we walk by faith, and worry eliminates faith in the moment, by the way. And indeed, in all worry, as we will see at its root, is a lack of trust and a doubt in God's goodness or a forgetfulness about those. You see, worry can cause many divisions and conflicts and flights, fights. When we worry, we don't trust. When we worry, we can't be joyful. When we worry, we cannot worship. When we worry, we have no peace. It is a cruel taskmaster. You see, when you yield yourself to sin, you then become controlled by it. It, 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 it puts you in chains, in a sense. You become a slave to sin when you yield to sin. And the world has its solutions. And sometimes well-meaning but naive believers don't understand the word of God and they go for the world's solutions, which do not resolve the issue. Maybe some of you were under the cruel taskmaster of worry. You see, it controls us. It brings forth death. It cuts us off from fellowship with the Lord. And worry carries often with it other sins. Because worry attacks the core of our relationship with Christ, which is faith. When worry is present, faith is not. I'm not talking about the temptation to worry. I'm talking about yielding to it, by the way. We're all tempted all the time, I believe. Not all the time, but certainly most of the time. And remember, conflict often leads to worry, and worry often leads to conflict, right? 
So then, we need to recognize that worry is a cruel taskmaster, and it also deflates our testimony and witness. Do you think you're having a forbearing, yielding spirit when you're worrying? What do you think the world thinks of you and I if we're worrying? We know the living God, but yet we're not trusting Him. Even they can spot that, right? So when we worry, we're acting like someone who doesn't know Christ. But God is gracious, and God is kind, and He loves you, and He loves me. And He looks out for our best interests. And thus, as a loving father would command a son in whom he deeply loved to do what is right, God commands us, as we will see, not to worry, but to pray instead. Not to worry. He commands us to do this. If you are a worrier, God has not given up on you. You're here today. God wants you to hear this. Now, you may be convicted because of this horribly controlling sin. When you do it, it's terrible. But God is good. And he wants you to be like Christ. He wants to set you free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And then the next time those chains are about to wrap around you, you'll understand what to do in Christ to be set free from those temptations and what to do when we fail as we confess. So then I don't want this passage to leave you with a guilt trip, which is really pride on whoever's part who would have that, by the way. But leave today being corrected by a loving God who wants to protect you and then rejoice in the forgiveness that is in the Lord. As in the Lord. So then, what do we do about worry? What do we do when we're worried about our future, our finances, our family, our friends, work, vacation, safety, ministry, church, what people think? How is it we almost never worry about what Christ thinks? Well, what are we to do? Here's the first command. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. It's an imperative command by the living God through the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, be anxious for nothing. And if we weren't tempted and we, and we don't fall in these areas, then we wouldn't need to command. We are tempted and we do fall. Be anxious for nothing. Now, we don't need to understand what worry is. I don't need to explain to you what worry is. I don't need to explain to you what anxiety is. We all understand it is a strong emotion that not only affects our minds, but it does over time affect us physically. Sin affects you. If you think wrong for a long time, you're going to be messed up. You see? It affects us. It affects us. But Christ can set you free. There's nothing impossible for God. So here we are to be anxious for nothing, not one thing. And there is no caveat here. There is no clauses. But if this is this, no. No. Continually not be anxious for anything. Now, does this mean we ignore reality? We ignore the sickness or the trials as they come? No, not at all. We certainly recognize those. See, David throughout the scripture saying, Oh, Lord, I'm being oppressed. Oh, Lord, this, whatever it might be. But he's praying about it. He's praying about it. As we're going to see, we are to pray rather than worry. The venue to share the difficulties you are going through is with God, not within yourself and your own mind all the time. Now, this term anxious can also be translated concerned. You see, it's actually used in a positive sense. There is a biblical concern, and that's not worry. The Apostle Paul was 
concerned that no one, no one, he said, no one but Timothy would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's not saying anxious. There's a, there's a biblical concern that we do have. When there are things that are around us that are, that are wrong, we have a concern about those things. But it's not anxiety or worry. So can I be anxious about my physical condition? Be anxious for nothing. Can I be anxious about my job? Be anxious for nothing. Can I be anxious about the church? Be anxious for nothing. Can I be anxious about preaching right now? Be anxious for nothing. Can I be concerned about situations uh, that are biblical and other people and where they're at with the Lord and have concerns? Yes, but not so as to worry. Not so as to worry. What about the airplane flight? Can I be anxious for that? We might all die. No. Be anxious for nothing, right? Now, I'm not saying that we test the Lord thy God by taking foolish risks. I'm not saying that. We are not to put the Lord God to the test. But as we go about his business, obeying him, walking with him, not in our own foolishness, we are to worry about nothing. Why? Certainly the Lord is near. He is sovereign over all of us. He is Lord. He's in control. And secondly, we can go to him in prayer. We can go to the God who created us, the God who saved us, the God who holds the whole universe together, rather than worry about what's in front of us. You see, we're not to worry about anything. And let me ask you, do you give yourself a pass when you worry? Just confess it and be forgiven. Another pastor writes, do you ever find yourself worrying? Do you know that scripture calls worry a sin? When you realize that you're worrying, did you go to God and confess it as a sin? Worry is just as much a sin, not in the levels, but just as much a sin as adultery, murder, theft. Yet how often do believers treat it lightly when we find our stomachs tied in knots because we've worried ourselves into a nervous frenzy? We don't realize that we've fallen into sin. If God says be anxious for nothing, we shouldn't do it, right? We're not to be anxious. Jesus made it clear we're not to be anxious, didn't he? We had this read earlier for us, but let's turn there again, Matthew chapter 6. You see, the stuff we worry about is not really the, the big stuff. Back then, they were concerned about what they would wear and what they would eat and where they'd sleep. We don't really have those concerns. We're concerned about, uh, you know, the stuff that doesn't matter at times. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For you either hate one and love the other, or he will hold on to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's money. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. This is Jesus saying this to his disciples, but to us, to the multitude, but then to us. As to what you should eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow, neither do they reap. Nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not worth much more than they? You're so much more valuable to God. He sent his son to die for you. You're very valuable. Don't forget that. He says here, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, 
Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But God so erased, but if God so erased the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown out into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? He says here, Do not be anxious then for what we shall eat or what we shall drink or with what we shall clothe ourselves. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these, all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Every day, each day has enough trouble of its own. We're not to worry. We're not to worry. But if your God is money, worry, because you're in trouble. But if God is your God, don't worry. Don't worry. We're not to worry about anything, and all worry is sin. But what if I have a chemical imbalance? Very popular statement these days, right? Well, God doesn't say anything about chemical imbalances. He says, be anxious for nothing, except you who have that. No, he doesn't say that at all. You see, this is not a physical issue at its core, although sickness and chemical imbalances or whatever it might be could increase your temptation. You bet. You bet. You know when you're sick, you get tempted easier, right? When physically, what, what was Jesus? He was, when he went to be tempted, right, in the wilderness, he hadn't eaten, right? No doubt. But we are to be anxious for nothing. No, no exemptions. If we're worrying, we're sinning. We're not trusting God. That's the issue. Confess your lack of trust in the Lord. Be graciously forgiven and restored. And some of you may say, I can't stop. And that is completely true if you don't know Christ. But for those of us who have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, he's commanding us. And with the command always comes his empowerment and then the instruction of what to do. Instead, he doesn't just say stop. He says stop, but do this. Don't do this, but do this instead. And so often we try to stop something, but we don't do what he says. And we find ourselves tempted over and over again and and yielding. So then notice, we're to choose to humbly, we're not to worry about anything, but we're to choose to humbly pray about everything. To humbly pray about everything. Back to our passage, verse 6, be anxious about nothing, but in contrast, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, we're to be anxious about nothing. But we have a contrast. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Everything. Here is the antidote to worry. Humble prayer. Humble prayer. Prayer to a God who loves you so much he gave his son to die in your place. Prayer to a God in whom you can boldly come before his throne and receive grace and mercy in time of need. Prayer to a God who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he became like us yet without sin. We're commanded not to worry about anything but to pray about everything. You see, if you're worrying, you, don't, you show a lack of trust in God, and that's an insult, basically. It's sin, by the way. 
a gracious God who gave himself. So we need to correct ourselves in our minds and catch it when we do and fail when we confess, Lord God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I've been worrying. And know I'm forgiven. Help me in the situation, Lord God. Here's what's happening. Lord God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. This is what's going on. It's hurting me a lot, Lord God. Help me here. Thank you so much for your kindness towards me. You're so gracious and so kind. It's a different heart attitude. Here's the antidote to worry. Humble prayer. Humble prayer. And by the way, I don't believe you can worry and pray at the same time. You can't. If you're worrying about something, you are not praying. You're not praying. And here, we're to pray about everything. We're to pray about everything. Well, how is this done? There's a context in which it's done. It's not simply a laundry list. Dear God, give me this, 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 and this. Take care of that, that, and that. That's not what he's saying. There's a context. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Prayer speaks of prayer in general, which includes the idea of petition. Supplication speaks of a humble request. A humble request. You see, if we don't humble ourselves before the Lord, uh, we're not going to be, he's not going to take care of the issues in our lives here regarding this. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Lord God, I am so tempted to worry about this situation. I don't know what to do. It looks like it's all falling apart, Lord, but you're good. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're above this. I thank you that you know the solution. You know all things. I thank you that you love me. Thank you that you promised to take care of me. Lord God, please give me a heart that sees my circumstances rightly, Lord God. Help me see this from your perspective. Please, Lord God. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You see, we're to be thankful. Thankfulness is an evidence of someone who's seeing God rightly and seeing themselves rightly. We see very clearly in Scripture that we are good to give thanks to the Lord for His Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting. We're to give thanks to Him. We're to be those who rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is to pray about everything, to rejoice always, and in everything give thanks. This is the way we should be. This is what we should be doing. We see this throughout the Scriptures. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. You want to talk about peace? Peace and thankfulness go right hand in hand. Peace and thankfulness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Are you thankful to the Lord? Do you thank him? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, verse 16 of chapter 3 of Colossians. With all wisdom and teaching, with wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. With thankfulness. 
You may know this verse and you know I'm to be anxious for nothing, I'm to pray about everything, but your heart is not thankful for anything. Be thankful for everything. Lord God, I know this looks bad. Lord God, I'm even thankful that you are a great God to discipline me and to make me holy. I'm thankful you brought circumstances to wake me up, Lord God. I'm thankful you're doing what a loving father would do. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. Now, you know, thankfulness is an evidence you're being controlled by a spirit. It's part of his will. Ephesians 5, you can read that later. But but a lack of thankfulness is a symptom of no relationship with the Lord. Romans chapter 1, 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That's speaking of those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Let me ask you, are you a thankful person? You see, if you're not thankful, you've lost sight of him and his love for you. You're out of his will. You're hardened by sin. You've forgotten what God has done for you, and so you need to listen up and give thanks to the Lord. Are you a thankful person? Is it part of your daily, hourly, moment-by-moment prayer life as evidenced by being controlled by His Spirit? Lord God, thank you. Thank you. It's not thankful in weird ways like, oh, Lord, thank you so much this car just got in a wreck. No, it's thank you that you protect me. Thank you that you're watching over me. Thank you that you're going to work it out for good. I know you're going to work it out because you work all things together for good. Thank you for, for, for your grace towards me. Thank you for your kindness. So then, we are to be praying, making our requests known to God. Look at this, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Now notice this. Let your requests be known to God. Be made known. Make your requests. God says do that. Don't worry, but make your request known. Don't worry, but make your request known. Don't worry, but make your request known. Worry's a sin. God says pray. We're to pray about everything with a thankful, submissive heart. Well, doesn't he already know our request? Matthew 6, 8. Yes, he does. So why are we making them known to him? But he already knows. Well, in reality, we relate to the Lord in a real relationship. And prayer is how we relate to him. And prayer shows a dependence upon him. When you're praying, you're dependent. When you're not praying, you are independent. When you're praying, you're dependent. We make our requests known to him. You know what? He will strongly support us. I love this verse, Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord move throughout, to and fro throughout the entire earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Confess your sin. We all fail. God is so good. Confess it. Be forgiven. And guess what? You're going to be tempted right away. Go to him. Thank him. Don't worry. Trust him. Lay everything before him. He's good. He's good. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And guess what? There's a promise, a wonderful promise, a wonderful promise. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what you need? You need peace. But you need God's peace. Jesus has said, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives or leaves. And it surpasses comprehension. No medication can give you this peace. No counselor can give you this peace. Man's ways do not take care of the problem. They medicate the problem. 
but it's still there. You reap what you sow. But we have a great promise here that when we are humbly and thankfully pray about everything rather than worrying, God's peace will guard our hearts and minds. And it's the peace which surpasses. It says here, Hooper Echo holds above. It's way beyond. It's way beyond what you could comprehend when you're thinking about how in the world am I going to make it through this. God's peace is way beyond that. You couldn't even comprehend it. And you see, when you stop worrying in obedience to his word and you start praying and humbling yourself before him, thankful this is what he promises. And then you believe it by faith. I believe it. And I've experienced it often because God is faithful to his word. He is faithful. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard. The word guard here literally spoke of a garrison of soldiers. Now these Roman people, these, this is a Roman colony, by the way, in Philippi, they would know what a garrison of soldiers is. It's going to guard your heart and mind. What do I need? I need my mind guarded because my thoughts are going all over the place. I need my heart guarded because they're going everywhere. Guard my heart and mind. His peace will do so. It's a promise in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. I want to finish up with some verses concerning trust. Walking with Jesus is all about trust, not about worry. It's about trust. Look at Psalm chapter 4, verse 5. Psalm 4, verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Don't worry. Trust in the Lord. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he also and he will do it. And I'll read through this quickly. You can come back to him. 91.2 I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I trust you, Lord God. I trust you. I believe what you said. We saw last week it is impossible to please him part by faith. Psalm 115, verse 9. O trust, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You're worrying about it? Let God be your help and shield. Trust in him. He says, are you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small and the great. But guess what? There's a warning for those who don't trust in the Lord. Isaiah 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go to Egypt for help. Rely on horses, trust in chariots because there are many, and horsemen because they are strong but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Woe to you if you don't seek the Lord when difficulty comes. If that's the pattern of life. One last passage here I want to read. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. You can't do it if you're worrying. Confess it. Acknowledge it. Part of the reason we continue to worry is we don't acknowledge what a heinous sin it is. Heinous sin it is. We've got to go, this is really awful, Lord. I am so sorry. I've sinned so greatly against you in my worry. It's so bad, Lord. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And he forgives you and you're cleansed. Because there's hope for you and I because we're all tempted to worry. And God is gracious. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
you don't trust in the Lord, cursed. For he will be like a bush in the desert, will not see prosperity when it comes, but will live in stony waste places in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitation. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts, whose trust is the Lord. So then we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's in the sphere of your relationship with Christ Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, we're going to look at this next week, but this is what the context of it is. It's changing our thinking. It's thinking on the right things. Look a little farther, just past our passage. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute. That doesn't sound like the stuff you're worrying about, by the way. If there's any excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. We'll look at that next week, but let God's word flood your heart and mind. Think about those things rather than the things you are worrying about, and give those up to the Lord. Cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Now as we finish up, just one last caveat If you felt convicted that you've tried to deal with worry based on the world's ways, I'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor. Don't run out and stop your medication. If you do this, you're going to go crazy. Trust the Lord. Do it under a doctor's care if it's for worry or anxiety alone. I'm not talking about, we need, we have different things we have. We have to take medication, stuff like that. I'm talking about merely if it's for your thinking, if it's just for that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And others will see it, by the way. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that we would learn what we've heard today that we would rejoice in what you have done through your Son, that we would gently yield and allow that sweet reasonableness because you are near to be seen. And Father, that we would obey your word and be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be known to you, and then let your peace, which surpasses all comprehension, guard our hearts and minds in your Son, Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone here who is a believer who has been ensnared by worry, that they will have heard your word today and they will not dishonor you, but will believe what you have said and turn and fight the good fight of faith, holding every thought captive, trusting you, bringing it all before you, trusting that you will do as you promised and guard their hearts and minds. And Father, as we are all tempted, I pray we would be reminded of your word and renew our hearts. And when we fail, that we would confess and be forgiven. 
Lord, you said in your word that your son Jesus came to set us free. And if we are been set free, we are free indeed. Lord, set free those here today who know you, who have been chained to this sin. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.